yeah, welcome back to the uh, Everything Cannabis podcast. I'm your host, uh, Michael Davis. Uh, we're here with uh, Carmel's uh, front man, I guess, <laughs> a little bit. Um, John, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be out here. You guys got a wicked space. You're yep. shooting in here. It's a cool vibe. It is. It's very cool little space. Um, I wanted to start with just like a little bit of a, a softball. So, how did you find yourself in the in the cannabis business, and uh, what's it been like uh, in the last sort of few years? Yeah, so I, uh, I I have been an avid consumer for you know the past fifteen at least years. Um, worked in alcohol for about six years, um, and while I was in alcohol, I had a, cannabis was legalized. I had a bunch of friends who were moving over, a bunch of colleagues. Um, I wanted to see make sure the the industry was like viable to have like a long-term job that was actually just not going to shut down or anything. So I, I waited about a year and then uh, a good opportunity came my way and I, uh, I got a job with Alifia Health. Gotcha. Uh, so now Sunday Market is kind of the banner they go under. Right on. Um, so Rich over there, he was from a beer background, saw that I was from a beer background as well. Yeah. And we like clicked really quickly and I was able to make the jump over. So started off at the Leafia. I was doing uh, sales for them, uh, like GTA East territory sales. So I did that for about uh, eight months. Um, and then I saw Carmel had a posting on LinkedIn, literally knew no one at the company, um, but I had tried their product when it first came out in market and it completely yeah. blew me away. And then I saw their, you know, their orange bags and I was like, yeah. this is something unique. And I bought each one of their strains. And every time I opened a bag, I was completely floored. So I was like, this is a company that I want to work for. Um, and then when I was in beer, I worked in craft beer. So like smaller, yeah. smaller brewery is a little bit more story to them, a little bit more higher end products that re- really appealed to me. So I, I wanted to try to get in with Carmel and like, luckily, uh, I reached out to, to Chris. He's their, the head of sales and marketing. He's yeah. my boss now. And, uh, I got a, a interview opportunity and I happened to know a couple of guys who were working with Carmel at the time. So I messaged all of them. Hey, like yeah. these guys up on LinkedIn, <laughs> like spam them, like put my name in good word. And, uh, yeah, things worked out, and I, and I started uh, like two and a half years ago. At nice. Yeah. So the you when you came to the moved over to the cannabis uh, business, it was uh, what year was that? So it would have been like three and a half years ago now. Um, so it was like right when COVID was like pretty right. pretty heavy. Uh, so like the the legal market is just sort of finding its footing, and uh, yeah. COVID hits, and then just the yeah, tailspin starts. Pretty interesting time because <laughs> yeah. like we had you know like fifty new stores opening a week in Ontario, and then you weren't allowed to physically enter the stores, <laughs> and the stores weren't physically allowed. To were let. you at, were you allowed to enter like as a sales rep? So I would find ways, creative ways. So yeah. I like once you got to new the retailers, they let you enter the back door, but it was ridiculous because <laughs> yeah. you literally like to do a sales sales meeting you'd have to like try to figure out a way to meet in the back alley or something and like yeah. it was crazy and they like, couldn't have customers in the store so it was like a pretty interesting time to be trying to sell people on a product when you can't really uh meet was it legal. like during those first sort of heady days was it just like gold rush mentality like everything was kind of flowing through and it was just you couldn't miss or you it, know it seemed like on the retailer side like everyone was just trying to open up a store like everyone was fighting for their license and like it was it, it seemed like that was the mentality because the stores that were open were seeming to be doing quite well especially everyone looked at the first lottery winners and looked at the you know the amount of lines they had out front what they were grossing so i think everyone was jumping in and then even on the lp side a lot of these new public lps were had a lot of money and like you know the contracts were great and like they were spending money and like it was like yeah it was definitely like the green rush era and it was totally. a, it was exciting environment there were new jobs yeah. popping up new lps like really rapidly so it was definitely like a really exciting space to be That's- in 
Cool. Very different from where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I kind of like, yeah, it took me aback a little bit, like thinking that through. So that's been a, quite an evolution for you, uh, going from like those heady sort of early days and then, you know, the evolution of the industry kind of where all these like majors are falling off, bankruptcies and all that. And here's Carmel, like still growing and leading in the industry. And uh, um, yeah, what an interesting sort of journey you've had, it seems yeah, like. Yeah, no, it's, it's been pretty crazy. Like we, we've been lucky at Carmel where we're, we're privately owned. So we have two right. co-founders, Dustin and Rowie. They're young, uh, they're young Western guys, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, nice. Exactly. So they're, they're young guys. Um, all, it's all, you know, it's all private. So we're, we're lucky in that regard. Um, and it sure. was like, we were able to grow at a really like slow, sustainable rate. Um, so I think that's really helped us to still be around this day because we don't we don't have crazy budgets like we don't throw like for for a year it's just me representing the whole province like we wow. don't throw money around like crazy we try to be really strategic with our spends yeah. and uh, and we've just grown progressively and now like as we get bigger we can bring on more people and and like we have the most skews we've ever had in market now because we have a bit more production capacity because we've yeah. grown a bit so. Is, is that like sort of uh, like your day to day operating is obviously very different from when, you know, like a public company that you, you initially work for versus like a private company? Is it do you find it's more fun to be uh, like in those like heady days or is it more fun to be, you know, rational and reasonable? Yeah, like yeah. it's definitely like it's fun having like, you know, the lavish going up for lunches and like dinners and like even like at the last company I was at, they were more reasonable than like, you know, the canopies of the world and like the big public yeah, yeah. guys. But it was still like it, it is nice to be at a company where like money doesn't seem to be an object. But I think like at the end of the day, I'd much rather be at a company that's being strategic with their spending. And yeah. like, cause it, you look at those companies and you're like, there's no long-term strategy right. here. Like they've yeah. got a ton yeah. of cash and they're just looking to like, you know, make some noise, but totally. like we're really strategic and we're trying to grow this thing and, you know, be around in a couple of years. So it's a completely different mentality. Yeah, that's cool. It feels a lot better. I feel like going in uh, to work, knowing that there's sort of like, you know, long-term sort of strategy to it not just like the yeah, shotgun like, approach at the end of the day we work in cannabis so there's not a ton of like the job <laughs> yeah, security yeah, is what true. it is but yeah, uh you know we can change. feel confident that we're, we're yeah. most likely going to be here in the next couple of months which a lot of companies you can't say that in. yeah yeah so like personally are you uh i'll jump around all, all over here but um are you uh personally like a passionate uh cannabis consumer are you a weed nerd kind of deal or is For it just sure. sort of like uh you know yeah, like my, my journey with weed's been interesting. Like when I was in high school, I was like the headiest kid you'll ever meet. Like I had like a big glass collection. Yeah. Like I had, you know, my gear, Illadolf bongs. Like I would, and I like, we had a good thing going in high school where we had a big group of guys and we uh, we had our, a, a buddy's older brother who had a connection to Montreal and we'd go down to Montreal and we'd usually come back with multiple different strains and we'd like be picking up almost once a month. Yeah. Um, what so, percentage were they? Do you remember? <laughs> yeah. So this is like, we'd be lucky to know the names know, for the most part back then. Like we were getting like, when we'd get like sour diesel or green crack and we actually knew the lineage and stuff, we were pretty stoked on it. Um, so yeah, I, I was like, I honestly consumed more then than I do now. But now I love just trying new strains. Like I, I smoke papers now mostly. Like I smoke joints or I yep. take edibles. Like I don't yep. really, I don't own a bong anymore. Like I have a vaporizer and I smoke papers. And like, yeah. but I really enjoy uh, trying new flavors and trying new strains. And like I, uh, I'm super picky with my weed now. Like it's really, pretty, eh? yeah. It's <laughs> nice. like after a try, we get get to try so many things that you really kind of figure out what you like and what you don't like. It's totally. For me, it's a big thing. Is if it if it smokes harsh, I, I'll put it out right away. Really, eh? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm not that big of a. Uh, a weed nerd in that sense but um 
Like, where do you see sort of the the trends going um, in terms of flour? Like, obviously, you know, like the the market has dictated that value and price are big drivers, obviously. But um, where do you see it from from a uh, producer's point of view? Yeah, in terms so of that like, trend? I think uh, it's interesting. Like, we've seen different trends. Like, I think uh, like this past year, we saw a lot of like wedding cake crosses. We saw a lot of grape terps too. Um, like platinum grapes by organic craft was like a big one that blew up and like we saw a lot of people follow with grape strains I really think it's still we're in like that candy gas stage that's going to be really popular like a lot of like gelato crosses um, yeah a lot of sunset sherbet um, just stuff with like a more like fruity exotic profile uh, that's kind of gassy as well um, but it is super hard to predict like I always look at the states and look at what's going on in LA and that's kind of a good indicator of what's going right. to happen here but everyone's just looking for like new terpene profiles and like new genetics so right. it's still like very everyone's hyper focused on like uh, the, the market the challenging thing is from a grower's perspective right now is everyone wants new so like when a year ago when we launched a product right. you had like a six month maybe product right. life cycle now you have like a four week product life cycle so Got it's yeah. like you it, it puts a lot of stress on the growers constantly having to come up with new genetics and they're able to respond to that in that sort of period of time. No, like, so that's the that's the challenging part. So like for if it, so for our guys, we pop a seed. We when we when we phenol hunt a new genetic, we're popping it from a seed. So we'll get a seed pack. Usually these are from the states, from a breeder in the states, like Seed Junkie. Um, so we'll get a seed pack with like six different seeds in there. Uh, we'll grow them all out, um, and then you want to pick which pheno has the best characteristics. So the best bag appeal, best nose, yeah. um, best yield. Um, but how then, do you weight those? Sorry to jump in, but how yeah. do you weigh those? I guess that's sort of like a brand decision, right? Like, you know, if this looks incredible, but like the, the taste is kind of yeah. not there, like where, where do you place that priority? Yeah, so like we have, we have a team of huge smokers. So like we pass it <laughs> yeah. around and like for Drew, for example, he's a bag appeal guy. So he, he's more of a looks like visuals versus Billy is more about fla- like smell and flavor. Oh, yeah. um, so we, it's it's between everyone. Like Rowie also is, has a big opinion on it. So it, it gets passed around the team and like it's a final decision. It's a team decision. Can you tell me a bit more of those uh, like those uh, characters on the on the bag? So Billy's phenotype or whatever. Like what's yeah. the story behind those? Yeah. And- so so we have Billy's pheno and then we had Drew's pheno, which is yeah, the yeah. So Drew's our master grower. Billy's our flower manager. Um, so they're like the two head guys in the grow uh, at Carmel. They're like yeah, Billy yeah. was the one who brought Animal Face with him. Uh, Drew is uh, yeah. like you know Drew's the foundation of the grow. Like both uh, a lot yeah. of legacy experience, uh, really talented guys, um, and yeah, just really talented growers with a ton of genetics. So they're right. they're the, like the ethos of Carmel. Like Carmel uh, yeah. wouldn't be anything without the two of them. It really starts with the plant there, I guess. Eh? Yeah, like, like I think this whole industry, uh, like oftentimes. I think the master grower gets put in the shadow of it, but like without the master growers, there wouldn't be a cannabis industry. And right. We wouldn't be here. So like those guys, I think are some of the most important people at our company, no matter what anyone says. Totally. Totally. Yeah. The, um, that's funny. Like it's so nuanced. There's so many different aspects to it. And like, I feel like, I mean, obviously everyone thinks this, but getting it out into the market and actually communicating these like value adds and these stories is so hard. I know you started in, in booze. Um, but just speak to a little bit about like how you go to market with like, let's say you have an incredible new strain or the bag appeal is amazing and you just want to shout it from the rooftops. Like what is the approach that you take to kind of get that? Is it a grassroots? Like, are you very surgical in terms of channeling? Or? Yeah. So I like, we've kind of figured out a bit of a strategy over the past couple of years. Um, so like if we're launching a new genetic, which we do quite a bit now, we always 
like I want to start doing a launch party for each time we have a big launch coming out. So that what that looks like is we try to find a venue where you can fit a lot of people in and we bring a ton of flour. Uh, and as long as everyone has their cancel, their butt tenders, we can sample them as if it's for education. Right, right, so right. we will have an educational event with uh, a ton yeah. of butt tenders, a ton of retailers, people who know the flour and the industry and get it in front of everyone. Um, I, for me, sampling goes a longest way because I can tell you all I want. It's yeah. this beautiful, but it smokes great, but yeah, it yeah. doesn't mean shit unless you try it. So yeah. like, big thing for me is just getting everyone to try it. And then we've got a couple of reps on the ground. So just having everyone go out and market. We our, our our marketing guys do a really good job with our assets. So we've got like digital assets. We send out physical stream cards and stuff like that. But I think the product goes a really long way. Yeah, so we're just talking about, you know, how you kind of seed like a, a new product or whatever. And you're talking about, um, you know, you use actual getting product in people's hands and having the product speak to themselves, which sort of, you know, aligns with the fact that it all stems from the plant. But um, do you find that there's a big difference in uh, like when you're working in, in alcohol and, and how that's done? Like alcohol, it seems like, you know, billboards and, and a lot more obviously out in the open, um, even though they're both legal but um talk about the difference between those two yeah like i find the biggest challenge from cannabis to alcohol from like a sales perspective is i can't do anything with the consumer really versus an alcohol i can hand out samples in parks i can go up i can go to a bar pour beer for people in cannabis i can't give the consumer any samples so even when you're doing a pop-up in a retail store for edibles i think it's great because you have uninfused edibles you can give those so the consumer can try the product i can't have the consumer actually physically try my product so it's that adds a very challenging aspect. So we really rely on our retail partners to to really translate and speak to our product because we can't, we're not allowed to, the government doesn't allow it. But right. So the, the, regula- the regulations are tough. And like even my Instagram's been taken down a couple of times. Our, our work Instagram's been taken down a couple of times. So like it's hard because these are the channels we rely on. Like I really rely on Instagram to promote new yeah. things. And like I, I have to be so careful with my wording, everything, because I'm at risk of getting shut down. What happens with that? Like you, it's a personal account of yours and what you just said. Yeah. What did you say the wrong? Do they tell you? Yeah. So you get warnings and then without warning, they'll just shut you down. Really? So I literally, I like, I found, I found <laughs> wow. a guy, I found a guy through an old colleague uh, that I actually like, you, you pay him a set amount of money and he gets your account back, which was pretty wild. <laughs> so like just ridiculous shit. Cause I'm not even like, it, it's like, this is a legal industry. Yeah. I'm doing legal things on here and then I'm getting shut down. And I'm having to pay some guy in the States yeah. who knows what he does to get it yeah. back it's just like it's a crazy situation so it's a it's when i tell my buddies who work in like completely opposite industries like the stuff we do it's just like it's yeah it's such a (laughs) wild contrast to what we're doing because it yes we're in a legal industry but there's all these things that are like quasi-legal almost feeling that you have to do um because of the regulation and yeah quasi-legal is a great word for it because it is so shadowy it's like this sort of like gray area where you like you if you step the wrong way the agco nudges you if you do you know yeah you know you miss word something instagram shuts you down so it is yeah like even crazy. like from the event the event side's been super interesting with that because like two and a half years ago we did the first big like park cannabis event and we were like watching over our backs making sure like caught like because it was yeah. like technically legal what we were doing but yeah. we still were handing out cannabis in a park and right. it just like it felt it didn't feel right and uh so it's like and then like fast forward to now you'll see there's events everywhere where they're doing consumption they've got consumption lounges yeah. so it has gotten a lot better the event side of the business totally speaking to that like the consumption side you mentioned you went down to la like what's the uh what's carmel's i don't know if you can speak to what their view and strategy is on it but like what's your sort of uh 
view on on the states like are you guys going down there is that a viable market is it too early have you been down there what's your experience yeah so for us i think we're just focused on canada uh the states is so messy right now each state is like i've actually haven't been to the la market it's just something we really look at but uh, our guys have like they've been out to vegas they've been to a bunch of the markets and just like each state is so different and it comes with their own challenges and like i'd say the canadian market in some ways is a lot healthier than some of the american markets so it's like I we definitely look at it because like LA, California has always been the top the top producer when it comes to genetics, when it comes to like the new stuff. So they're definitely like a, most of our gear that we get comes from LA. So like all the new genetics we're running comes directly from producers like breeders in LA. So it's something we like really look at. But as far as like wanting to go out there, I just I, I don't think it's worth even like considering until like it's federally legal. And right. we're a small craft producer. Like we don't have, you know, we're we don't have the means to even try to open up a big operation out there so yeah it's not on the radar risk and the banking and all yeah that just shit. like hearing all the horror stories out there it's okay. not, like even the guys in california like jungle boys it's like an account i follow religiously and like they have so many issues out there and they're one of the top guys so it's not an easy environment out there either totally um so that the sourcing uh thing that you mentioned where you're, you're going down to la can you tell me about like what that process looks like like who does it and what you're what you're looking for when you approach that is it sort of like you go in eyes wide open or are you looking for trends for genetics yeah so when you get your uh when you get your license uh your grower's license you get like a one-time uh one-time ability to bring in in canada or this is in canada this is ontario too so when you get your your grower's license you get a one-time uh ability to bring in genetics from anywhere and they don't ask like where they're from or anything so when we declared our license we brought in like over 600 genetics uh all from out the states um and so you you can bring in like a lot of our stuff comes from yeah colorado california like sea junkie pure so who are thug these pug. people that are like where what is it like to get like forgive me i'm totally ignorant on yeah, this yeah no so billy and drew have been in the industry for 15 years they have a lot yeah. of contacts out there so like billy actually has a guy who will like overnight him uh different clones gotcha. a different seed packs so a lot of the times like pretty uh genetic producers out there they'll they'll drop their seeds they almost do it like auction style where they'll they have like 500 seed packs they'll drop it at this hour like highest bid gets the pack so they have guys out there who will bid for them purchase the packs send them back and then if you have a if you have a new facility or you know someone with a new license you can bring in the genetics through that way um so the other way of bringing in genetics would you be you go to a registered nursery and you buy their clones or you buy whatever they have and that's how you see a lot of people running the same blue dream or the same black cherry punch because they go that way versus we have the connections out in the states uh to bring in these more exotic genetics that are more sought after that's cool man yeah um so looking at the industry now like uh and obviously you're like neck deep in it um and you have been for a while through all the sort of uh different evolutions what would you change about it um like zooming out you know you're you're the you're creating the policy or whatever yeah putting on the spot i guess but yeah like how would you how do you see it sort of improving um yeah um, I think the the taxing is like really it's too like it's the excise tax is too much like we need to reduce that um, it's just at the point where like we we still can't really compete competitively with the black market 
Um, and so I, I think that for, especially for a new industry, the taxing is just outrageous. Like yeah. it, it's just hard enough. Like these facilities are so expensive to build and there, there's so much upfront costs and you know, you, it takes six months to take down a crop sometimes. So it's like, it's just the costs are so high. And then to have these crazy excise tax behind it, it's just like, it's virtually like, I don't know of any producers that are making a ton of money right now. Like yeah. might be a couple that are doing well, but it's, it's so hard to survive. So I think getting rid of that excise tax would be huge. Um, you have no room for innovation there. Like if you make a mistake or a misstep, like I think it's like 30% or something, the excise, it's crazy. Yeah. If you make a misstep, like your cash flow is done, you can't, you can't recover that crop. And then you've got to survive for another year, probably get relicensed and then, carry all those costs. Yeah, if you have one bad room, year. like that could that could break a company if you have like cuz it could happen, you could have one room that gets infected with something and you have to tear down the whole room and then that's, you know, like that's half a year's rent. So it's like it's uh yeah, it's it's challenging. But I, and I also think like like the OCS has been great to us. Like we've gotten a lot of listings, but the their listing process is very challenging for producers cuz they, you know, they they expect you to know exactly when a crop's going to be ready and exactly what genetics going to be ready in October and like it, it, cannabis is a very finicky plant to grow it's very difficult so it's really hard to meet their po's and often they give you these unrealistic po's that are huge and then by the time you get there the market is completely saturated and you can't move through that and so then you have to like we luckily haven't had to do this in a very long time but then some producers will have to rtv that product and take it all back at a loss so it's it's very challenging especially right now it's so saturated we're seeing like almost like 200 new products every like couple of weeks launch. And it's like, it's really challenging as a producer to survive. And like, we're, we've got a really good brand recognition and like really well received in market. And we're really struggling right now with new drops. It's just the way the industry can keep up. Like there's a new sort of like trend to jump on every two weeks kind of deal. Yeah. Just like, cause like a lot of, especially in the craft category, like the customers always want to try the new thing. Like what's, they go to the, they go to the retailer. Like what, what do you have that's new? So like to constantly be growing new genetics and launching something new every like two months is very unrealistic so it's really hard to say like in the top top of mind right now totally i see like a lot of times we as a retailer we get uh you know new skew or whatever innovation in and you see it like blue dream or whatever whatever it is uh the du jour uh strain it has this sort of like uh really consistent pattern where it spikes and it's like oh wow this is amazing and then totally dies and you sit on dead inventory and then it switches to the next thing and then to the next thing and it's like i'm not really sure how you get ahead of that or like what it is that you do i guess carmel's approach i guess is just make great product and yeah because it's tough if you look at other industries like if you're selling to a grocery store for example and something you lose demand you can drop the price and then clear it out but we're we already pre-sell all our product to the ocs and we're not allowed to do any price cuts so it puts you in a really difficult position once things do slow down so that's why we see like a lot of these big guys are doing like these data deals and whatever to to move through product because like that's uh, otherwise they have to do rtvs and that's like the only way to do it but even then, like they go back to do these data deals and then it's with LPs that are being squeezed by the excise tax. And then this, you know, yeah. trying to deal with the so innovation stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah they're not making any money. Essentially, they're just like, right. they're just going to, yeah, they're just running through what they have until, uh, until they have to let people go. It's interesting. It's a tough squeeze at the moment for sure. But yeah. Um, so I, I was interested, like. If you were to take a, a premium uh, cannabis, um, a diff, like a competitor of yours, let's say, and put them, you know, uh, up against each other, what would be your sort of USP? Like where, you know, um, what differentiates Carmel in a in a uh, in an upmarket category? 
Yeah. So like a big thing with us is the local aspect. So like a lot of the pretty, like our main competitors are all from BC and Alberta. Um, so if you look at like black market, for example, they're one of our main competitors They're you know, they produce everything out in BC. So we produce everything an hour and a half from where we're sitting right now. So the local aspects like a huge thing, like everything we do is hang dried, hand trimmed. It's touched by people. Like we don't have machines at the facility. Um, and we do really no machines at all. No no machine. (laughs) Like, like obviously we have like an Mplex machine to put nitrogen, like they're small machines, but we don't, like we don't machine trim we don't like machine select the buds that go in each bag so everything's hand done and then our rooms are small too so the plants get touched like we lollipop our plants so there's like a big like uh element of like someone's always touching it and there's always eyes on the flower um and then the other thing is our product's really fresh like we we do small rooms and we do quick load-ins to the ocs so usually when you get a bag it's usually not more than like two months old so Um, what's that life cycle like like let's say you know, you're, you're testing some, some genetics and you have a great, you have a, a great, you know, idea or whatever from that idea to being on shelf. What's that timeline? Like, like walk me through that process of like, so like right now we're pheno hunting strains for the winter drop. Um, so we already have the strains that would be fit, like, so it's at least like, it's usually like a year to be honest, timeline. Um, and the problem with that is like stuff in this industry, things can change within six months, uh, consumer trends. So you have to be pretty sure on the products you're going to drop because it can change so quickly. Yeah. That is crazy. You almost have to have like the crystal ball, like looking into the trends for, for that. Yeah. Like our, our, our game plan is to choose, like choose stuff that we really like and then choose exotic genetics that we know most people can't get their hands on. So like we're dropping a a strain called uh, hot Cheetos in October and we know that most people can't get their hands on that. So we feel pretty confident that like we'll have the only hot Cheetos in market when that comes out. That's pretty cool. So do you guys find like historically, if you, if you guys are in a room and you're like, Oh, this hot Cheetos thing is it. It's like, have you seen historically since Carmel started that, that, like when you guys like it, the market responds kind of thing. Or For sure. There, but there's been like fuck ups where you're like, oh my God. Well, the, the thing it? that always happens, yeah. which is really upsetting is like, we fall in love with something in the grow yeah. room. Like we all take it home, smoke it. We all get super high. Like we have a great time. And then we send it to the lab and it comes back at like 19% THC. So that's the thing that's really killing us right now with the pheno hunts. Cause it will be the prettiest bud. It will have like yes. this gorgeous purple smoke rate, smell great. But then when we take it to the lab, it comes back at like 20, 19. And like, we can't sell that. It won't move on the rec market right now. And, so that, that's a and huge the only thing. reason it won't move is because of that sort of perception, right? Like yeah. the fact that it's an amazing product doesn't matter. If that number isn't high enough, if that yeah. filter on the website isn't above 25, you're not getting picked up. It's it's falling to the... That's yeah, funny. like right now, like a lot of the consumers associate high THC with high quality and like right. high value. So it's like you have to... Like right now, like I wouldn't feel comfortable loading in any flower that's under 25% THC. Wow. Like it's that crazy. Whereas like two years ago, 25 was super high. If you got 25, like that was a really good number. Right. Yeah. And so like, how does that, like, how do you approach that at all? Like in terms of, so the product is amazing, um, but you have to almost adulterate it to a degree where it has to sell. So like, where did, where do you think that came in this percentage thing? Like, is it- I think it, I think it stemmed from like, so when the cannabis industry was first started off, it was during COVID. 
Uh, the consumers didn't have a ton of information. The OCS, one of the two pieces of information the OCS gave the consumers access to is price and THC. And I think it just, and then the other retailers, that's how they learned to sell and it just escalated. And now here we are. And it's all, it's like, when you look at alcohol, it's very transferable to alcohol. And a lot of these mm. consumers have bought alcohol where it's like, yeah. they see if it's high THC, that's going to get me the highest, which isn't right. actually the case for the most part. There's some, there's some relevance. Like if something testing at 29, it's probably going to be pretty strong, yeah. but there's also, also strains that test at like 19 that have a really crazy turt profile that will hit yeah. you just as hard. Well, like just like what you said, where it came back at 19, but it was an incredible experience, but it's just not going to translate because of yeah. misinformation. Yeah. <laughs> and it and it also sucks because it seems like the consumer right now just wants to get as high as possible versus like they're in alcohol. You have the consumer that just wants to have like one drink, enjoy the experience, just enjoy the flavor. Whereas I think there should be cannabis for all levels where it's like, I just want to smoke this, get a little bit high, enjoy the flavor. Like it shouldn't be, I just want to get blasted because yeah, that's yeah. like what the majority of consumers seem to be interested in You're right now. introduce me to these people that just want to have one drink. Yeah. Day, but, <laughs> yeah. Um, you're mentioning that winter drop. It just hit me. Like, is there a seasonality to weed? Like, is there like a, like, do you want sort of like a more robust indica in the winter or something? So or there's, there's, there there's like the OCS uh, product cycle. So like every quarter they have like new drop windows. Um, so you have like the winter, the spring, the summer, the fall. Um, but there is some seasonality. Like definitely people smoke more flour in the winter. They smoke more indica leaning strains versus in the summer you, you sell more pre-rolls. You sell more sativas oh, yeah. winter vape carts do a bit better um so there is some seasonality it's not like beer though where it's like december there's nothing going like you know january february it's quiet like people still smoke a lot of weed throughout the year so it's mm -hmm. good in that regard but there is definitely seasonality and we're, we're figuring that it's such a new industry we figure that out each year just seeing yeah. numbers it definitely is uh yeah sort of figuring out as you go the the big sort of trend at the beginning of uh legalization in uh 2.0 or whatever was to build out these portfolios of crazy amounts of product. I don't even know, understand how you would support that sort of range of product you're doing, edibles, tinctures, oils, or whatever. So, I mean, I don't know how, what that looks like on the, on the back end, but what does Carmel, what's Carmel's or your guys's sort of thought process on focusing on flour first and, and not sort of, you know, expanding out? Yeah, so like we uh, we just chose to focus on flour because that's what Drew knew how to grow. Like Drew, Drew <laughs> yeah. had been growing flour for like fifteen. He made edible. Yeah, edible he'd be growing. Yeah. He'd been growing flour for like fifteen years, and he was really good at growing that flour. So we decided to go with the flour. Um, and then you know, like a year into the business, it was like okay, like we think we can do pre rolls. So it's and it, it's after a lot. We do a lot of R and D, but with everything before we launch, like we don't just rush something to market because we see a lot of LPs do that and they fail pretty quickly. So it's doing a lot of R and D and taking your time and not rushing anything and like for example we're doing a hash in october so we got a two gram temple ball we're doing cool. and uh, we're aging that right now but it's like we we waited like you know like over over three years to do hash just because we weren't ready uh so it's taking your time with everything is kind of how we approach it that makes sense and, and like so you have this temple ball or a new product is there any way to sort of feel out the response outside of just handing it out like is there any way to gauge actual market response or do you have to go and like go all in, you know, like you guys test it, you love it. This new product's great. I think it's going to be a winner. It's testing at 25% or above. Yeah. Um, but you have to hit the OCS minimums. You have to go all in anyway, in order to make the, the effort worth it. Right. So yeah. 
What, yeah, what? like we'll we'll like we have like a lot of good like retail partners and bud tenders and even customers that like we talk to. So like if we're gonna launch something new, like even for the the hash packaging, like I reached out to probably like ten different retailers, just ask picking their brain, asking them questions. So like we have a good network that we'll reach out to, and then even on our team alone, we've got like at least like fifty like heavy smokers. So like we got a lot of people internally yeah. that we can turn to. But it is like you're, it's a bit of a crapshoot. Like there's no real way to get a ton of data on these things until you launch them in market. So you never really know how things are going to perform until they launch. Yeah. Has there been any surprises that you're like, holy shit, good way or, or bad way? Yeah, like we we launched our Mac 1, I want to say like two years ago. It was all our favorite strain we ever grew, like just crazy t- profile on it. But it was only like 20, 21% THC and it, it flopped in market. Like it didn't move mm-hmm. well. So it was like really challenging to sell it just because it was lower THC. But we think it's one of the most beautiful flowers we've ever grown. So like, right. yeah, they, you do get surprised every now and again. Fuck, that must be so frustrating, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah like you just beat your head against the wall yes, about the THC. It. <laughs> but then like I'll, I'll go in a retail store and spend 30 minutes in there and then I hear half the customers asking for your cheapest price highest THC so yeah. I get it like I don't blame oh, yeah. the retailers like they don't it's a it's a tough you know it's a tough thing they're trying to do totally it's it's definitely keeping uh, a balance between it um so like craft craft means what to, to you so to speak like when someone says craft flower what does that mean yeah so for me like craft means like small batched uh, small batch, so small, growing in small rooms, uh, like for flower, exotic genetics, like it means there's a lot of care taken into the product essentially like is what I, trimmed. yeah, like a lot, like someone really cared for it. It's not mass produced. It's not in a big, you know, big warehouse, big massive greenhouse. Yeah. So like for me, like craft flower is something that was like a lot of love and care was put into the product. Totally. And so I imagine it's probably hard to keep something craft at scale. So like kind of What's the, uh, what does success look to you and Carmel um, in terms of size or maybe that's not success to you, but how do you, how do you, basically the question is, how do you uh, keep something craft at scale? Yeah. So like with, uh, with that, I think the biggest thing, especially with growing cannabis is like, you have to do a lot of small rooms. So like these guys, you see these guys open up these hundred thousand square foot facilities and it's really hard to grow high quality flour. But if you buy a facility, you break it up to a bunch of small rooms and then you have like a master grower handling a certain amount of rooms, each plan is getting the same attention and care and it's getting the same like catered environment. So I think the key is to open a lot, like a facility with a lot of small rooms. Like you have 20 small rooms versus one large room and like your quality will be tenfold better. Cool. Gotcha. Yeah. And just keeping the hand trim, keeping that, keeping the same processes at scale is like huge. Right. 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 right yeah. Right. All right. That's uh, most of the flower questions we got. So uh, like what's exciting to you? Uh, what's on the horizon in terms of uh, in the cannabis industry or Carmel specifically um, that you see coming around the corner, the bend? Yeah. So I think like for, for Carmel, like we, we were focusing on innovation this year. So like last year we were growing animal face, trying to grow as much animal face as possible. This year we're doing a lot of new SKUs, a lot of new formats. Uh, so I was telling these guys earlier, we've got like a two and a half gram blunt that just launched on the portal. It's like a flow through item. Um, we did like a glass tip hemp wrap, like just really big celebration blunt, like yeah. crazy high price tag on it, but it's just, it's something for like, yeah. you know, the one, the one once a year kind of right, purchase. Right. So I think the new formats is really exciting for us and like getting the, we're trying to launch two new genetics every quarter that we grow in house. Wow. Um, 
which brings a big challenge to our grower grow team. But like, yeah, so a lot of innovation for us this year, which is really exciting. And like, it's, it's necessary too. If you're not innovating right now, your, your business is dying. So like, like you look at like decibel with their infused joints, like that innovation is key right now to stay alive. So it's like trying to always think of the next big idea, which is very challenging. And it puts a lot of stress on like R and D and, and like what to do next. So yeah, I think it's our, our portfolio is very exciting this year. A lot of new genetics, a lot of new formats. We just launched a 14 gram bag of animal face. Um, so we, we got some stuff like brewing for the, the winter that I can't even talk to you guys about yet. Some of the exciting stuff. So yeah, we're, we're, we got a lot of innovation this year. So that's, that's exciting on our end. That's interesting. So the, um, What's your opinion on infused joints? I've tried a ton of them. It's like very hit and miss. Yeah, so I uh, I don't smoke anything with distillate or botanical terpenes nice. in it. I find it just makes me feel sick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so like for me, I don't even like stuff with diamonds in it really. It's kind of, a, it's it's a bit of a lower quality uh, concentrate. Like I, if I'm going to smoke something infused, I want either like rosin or a bubble hash in it. Gotcha. Um, I just find there's way more flavor. It's way more of a clean high. Um, and like the botanical terpenes just like make me feel a bit off. I, I don't know. It's huh. just like my body chemistry doesn't like it. It's the same thing with like distillate carts too. Just like I get a bit of a headache don't feel good so if i do smoke something infused it's usually with ice water bubble hash or uh or like a hash snake or or live rosin in it beauty yeah all right man okay that's all i've got for uh flower and carmel you got any uh anything you want to get out there we're gonna wrap this up by the way like the uh the clips and everything yeah through email so if there's any like sweet you know any management imperatives that you, they want you to sell yeah, yeah. right now. That was the yeah, time, yeah. but I think we um, kind of covered it all a little yeah, bit Yeah, sick. There. Yeah, I brought I brought you guys some of our, our new stuff we have coming up. So we got a, a new Billy's Fino. So we have, uh, it's the strain's called Truffle Fuel. Uh, it's it's grown by Papers Craft Co. Out in uh, their little craft grower out in Calgary. Uh, this is their new genetics. So it's white truffle crossed with jet fuel gelato. So we got the, the pre-rolls we started with and then we'll have the whole flower coming out in a couple of weeks. Cool. So that's a new thing. Uh, and then we'll have a new rares coming out in a couple of weeks as well. So right now we got the pink cushion market that we grew. This is the next load in. So this is, uh, it's called Golden Crisp. It's GMO crossed with cereal milk. Uh, it's grown by Genetic Mike, uh, Drew's good buddy from the black market who finally got a, a license and he's got a micro out nice. in Vaughn. So we're bringing in his first room, which is really exciting. So, uh, yeah, so those are the two newest things. And yeah, I was saying that we got that two and a half gram blunt, which we're really excited to get out. It's pretty, pretty crazy looking product. Beautiful. We'll Um, wrap this up. We'll uh, open those up, uh, give them a sample and away we go, man. I really appreciate you coming down and talking us through Carmel. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thanks.